It is so good to be together today. And um, I say that over and over again, not like I don't believe it, but that I think we need to hear it, that this is a place to be. And um, it, it, it's a place that reminds us who we are and, uh, and, and the family component of church. And that's always so accentuated when I see like Maddie sing. And I remember when Maddie's parents were married. I did that when we were both a lot younger then. And I remember when Maddie was baptized. I remember her brother Garrett was baptized. And, and uh, now her father's an officer in our congregation. Her mom's in ministry at Orange Lutheran. And, and you just kind of watch God work in community and uh, reminded, right, how great is our God? How great, how great is our God? And uh, reminded of those stories coming over and over again, not just, you know, rotating around me, but rotating around you and your lives. And maybe this week, above all else, we get to see that uh, because this week's about hanging out with people. And uh, whether that's one or two people at Norm's on the corner of Tustin and Catella, and those are your, those are your people, or, you know, being involved with, you know, lots and lots of people at, at, at another place. But, but either way, the, the peace of being here and being in community uh, you're never alone. I love that line in that song, you are who God says you are. You are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, the family of faith that you possess in Jesus is, man, from here to everywhere in the world, and uh, sometimes just across the street. So it feels good to be in the, in the house of the Lord today. The first reading I'm going to work on this morning is from Revelation chapter 3. Make sure I have it right. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Revelation, Old or New Testament? New? Front or back of your Bible? Very good. There we go. Now we're awake. I didn't put you to sleep yet. Give me some time. I'll put you to sleep. Oh, it's on the screen already. Good. Okay, I'm good. I'll read it. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We don't think about that too much. We, we think a lot about what is now and what is to come. Kind of takes a back, a back seat. And that's... Uh, God intends for us to think about the future. And, and to think about the ultimate end of, of, of all things. And if you call up my slides for the message, I'm going to go with that theme this morning of the end. Not in some kind of morbid, weird way. So I put my emoticon on there because I can hardly hit a semicolon or a colon without going immediately to the parentheses that makes a smiley face. But I don't want this to be a morbid message where you come out and you say, well, you know, Pastor really stoked up hell's fire this morning and I feel my tail end on fire so I got to quit drinking, quit playing cards, quit smoking and you know, I got to do all this stuff because Jesus is coming back. You know, we just don't see it that way. That's just not how the book of Revelation and the gospel of St. Mark, which we're going to read here in a few moments, portray the end, of, the end of times. But as we move towards the end of the church year 
and, uh, and, and think a little about the, the journey we've been on through the life of Jesus, the end becomes a beautiful thing and a teaching of comfort. And that end for you may be 90 years out into the future. Uh, that end, as I prayed with the family this week, could just be an hour or so away. But either way, the word of the Lord is not one to scare us into believing or to kind of intimidate or coerce us into that. Rather, the word and promise of God delivers a sense of comfort to us, even when we think about the end. So today is New Year's Eve for the church. You realize there's a billion Christians in the world, and a huge majority, like 90% of those billion people, this is New Year's Eve of the church year. So New Year's Eve for the church year starts at Advent, which is the four weeks before Christmas. Advent leads to... Christmas, good. Now, see it? And then, and then you get to Epiphany, and there's a couple other Latin words in there, and you're like, okay, that's cool. We remember Jesus' baptism. And, and then you get to Ash Wednesday, and we do the crosses on the forehead, and it's, and it's Lent. And you've moved with Jesus from the manger to being a young man to calling disciples into um, his, his end, his, his last days, and, and his march to the cross, at which point he's laid in a tomb, and we celebrate that empty tomb. We call that... Easter, which leads to Pentecost, which is the outpouring of God's spirit in and among his people, the birthday of the, of the church. And then today is kind of called Sunday of the Fulfillment, which is the, the New Year's Eve of the church year. But what the church year does, and we do it quietly here, right? This is probably the first time you've even heard this. But what the church year does is leads us through the life of Jesus Christ. We do it over and over and over again. Sometimes it's the, the, the focus on the life groups and Deborah and those people, but, but it all leads us back to watching out and being ready for the Lord's coming back so that we know the content of the story, that we know the history, and that we receive the power of God's grace being delivered in and through the narrative of Jesus of Nazareth. So having been a devout Christian, you should at some point, if someone writes something that's silly about Jesus or something that's not true, you should at some point be able to say, you know, that's not the way I got it. Here's what's the real deal. And that makes you a, a, a marvelous work of God in community, in the world. A world that's narrative is about consumption and buying this and having that, possessing all of this. Rather, our, our narrative, our story is one of Jesus and his love for us. And it doesn't start with once upon a time. It begins with in the beginning. It winds its way from the Old Testament through Moses and Abraham and David and the prophets into Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger to a ministry of healings and preaching to a cross, to an open tomb, and to the end in Revelation where Jesus says, don't live like the end has already happened. I'll be, I'll be back. And when I'm back, things are going to be so much more spectacular and so much better than what you've already seen. So hang on to the end and keep, keep watch. So all the things that we've preached on and all the things that have led to have led us to a day where we can think about the end, not in some sort of morbid, scary way, but in the way that Jesus taught here, in Mark's gospel. This is Jesus' teaching. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we look around the world with, not with fear and not with panic. I love the little cartoon. It says the end is near. And then someone says this, this will never end. The guy says your optimism disgusts me. See, the teaching of the end is not about bringing fear and, 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 and God coming and bringing retribution and fire in his eyes and anger in his voice and, and all of that stuff. We look around with a certain sense of confidence. I've never been one of those preachers and quite honestly, our Lutheran tradition precludes the preaching of hell with your hair on fire. As if there's a, a level of coercion that, that somehow is salutary. And, and, and if the preacher pushes you far enough, if, if hell's fire burns your toes and your ankles and your knees, then somehow you'll be a better person and, and watching out for Jesus in a different way. That was never John's intention when he wrote Revelation or Jesus' intention as he preached here in Mark chapter 13. But there's a vein of that that went through the church about maybe half a generation ago. And they thought that somehow if they could get people whooped up and nervous about the end, that maybe you'd believe in Jesus a little bit more, more fervently. But the teaching of the end, the end of this earth, is for comfort, not fear. And the teaching of the end is not to frighten you into being a Christian. Because our Lord, who's called you to be his child, doesn't lead with fear and coercion. He leads with grace, kindness, and with great love for you. When I was a kid, I grew up in Arizona, and one of the hot movies then was called A Thief in the Night. And I don't know if anyone, did anyone see A Thief in the Night but me? I'm the only one, there's a couple. You gotta be of my vintage, you gotta be 55 or so to have seen that. I would have been in eighth grade when I saw it. We saw it at the church on, on a, a, a big projector with real sound and all that stuff. It was the most frightening thing I've ever seen. Because the images of that are that of God coming down and you being left behind. That was the focus of the, the thing, that God is coming like a thief in the night and you've been left behind. And there was a chorus in that that I'll never forget called, the, oh, the raptures come, the raptures come, the raptures come, and you've been left behind. And I just remember as a kid, like my heart stopping, going, oh my gosh. So then I go home, my parents aren't there. And I'm like, ah, I've been left behind. You know, it wasn't cell phones and texting. And all of a sudden, my father knocked on the door. He said, Timothy. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm not, I'm not going into perdition. I'm not the gaping gate of hell. I'm going to be okay. But that whole piece of evangelistic fervor that came out of a more Pentecostal Assembly of God background was, was that. And God doesn't call us to that, to look at the end of times and say, well, the politics are a mess and the economics are a mess and there's wars and rumors of wars and there's all this and, and we better get our house in order. We better get everything together because, boy, Jesus could come back and that's going to be really bad. 
But the scripture tells us today, from both Revelation and from Mark's gospel, to be on watch. Like a guard on a watchtower. Like a person who's eagerly anticipating a marvelous guest coming to their home. Like, like you did at Thanksgiving where you hosted, where you said, when do they come and I hope they're here. It's noon, where is everybody? It's 12.01. I've got the gravy ready, I've got the potatoes ready, I've got the turkey off the smoker. Where is everybody? And then all of a sudden the doorbell rings and it's my mom and she says, we're here. And then my nephews come bounding in and and, and our families together, and it gets louder and louder and louder. And there's not fear in that because we've been prepared and, and ready to go. We've been looking out the window waiting for our guests to arrive because we know that when they get there, it's going to be infinitely better than just being there alone. But there's a little bit of just kind of wondering who's going to show and how's it going to be and what's it, what's it going to look like. It's that kind of eager anticipation that Mark is writing in the words of Jesus not to be afraid, but simply to look up and be watchful. To consider like the fig tree where, where, where it, it, it's all sticks and, and, and trouble and, and, and you kind of cut it back and then all of a sudden in the spring the shoots grow and the leaves grow and the fruit comes. The Lord is saying, look at the signs of the time, not to be afraid, but to be confident, to be ready for when the Lord Jesus comes back. That's part of what we do here. As part of what our job as your pastors and church leaders is to do is to make sure you're fit and ready for when the Lord Jesus comes back. It's what we do. You see, we don't hold on with an emptiness to God's promises, but we hold on with this marvelous hope. And what we hold on to faith, what we hold on to in faith is, is, is beyond what our eyes see. We hold on to the promises of our Lord that he will never leave us or forsake us. But he loves us so deeply that he will come back again to take us to heaven. One of the pieces of, of Jesus' teaching, he says, and that will come like a thief in the night. And I always thought that meant that we're never going to know when he comes back. We'll be looking at the cloud and all of a sudden this trumpet's going to go and Jesus is going to come back. And I remember having outside my office the tornado siren in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. And the first couple times that went off, Wednesday at noon, it was... That's it, Jesus is coming back. Now we finally got it. This is good. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's like the family I went to see Tuesday afternoon. A gentleman who serves on our team, he called and said, Hey, you got to come see my, my sister's cousin. She's, she's dying. And I said, Well, what do you mean? Is she dying like hospice is coming in? It's going to be a month? Or is they go, No, Pastor Tim, she's dying like today. And I went and visited and prayed with the family, anointed her with oil, spent some time together. About two hours later, I got a text that said, Debbie's with Jesus. That day for her, the Lord came like a thief in the night. He came in comfort and peace with great love and great compassion to take her spirit out of that cancer-ridden body and to deliver the hope of her eternal life to her Tuesday afternoon at 6.30. You see, it's not just the matter of the Lord lifting the shade and, and saying this is the end. Sometimes it's the stuff that goes on in life where we go to meet the Lord Jesus. And sometimes those things come like a surprise. And so in that, the Lord says, just be watch. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Just watch.
But as you watch, watch with hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope is simply faith that looks forward. Hope is faith that says there's something better than this. There's something better than buying and selling. There's something better than, than, than the broken state of this earth. There's something better than the politics and the economy of the here and now. There's a, a, a new heaven and a new earth that God is building for us right now. And one day he'll come to take us to be with him. And that's our hope. That the lives we have now, have now though rich and beautiful, one day will be even more joyful when we're restored to those people who've gone on before us, where I get to sit with my dad face to face, say, Dad, I made it, so did you. See, that's the hope that we hold on to as Christian people. Hope springs from faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, who suffered and died, but who made it through that gateway of death into life everlasting. The first one to make it through, the pathfinder, who delivered to you and me the way, the truth, and the life, the way to salvation, the truth of God's promises, and the life eternal that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so we live with faith and hope, and I think a smile. There's so much on social media, and I've gone to be more of a Twitter guy than a Facebook guy these days, and I can't do Insta, and I refuse to Snapchat, so don't even look for my stuff on Snapchat. But there's so much that seeks to bring like a pessimism or a, a critical negativity into the world. And I struggle with that so much because I'm a child of God and so are you. And while the world is deteriorating and, 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 and kind of devolving around us, yet the word and promise of God brings a certain sense of confidence to us. And so people will say, aren't you concerned? Aren't you uptight? Aren't you nervous? And the answer says, well, I'm, I'm concerned, but I'm not uptight. And I'm not nervous because I've read the book from Genesis to Revelation and I know how the whole thing comes down and how it ends. And I know that we who are in Christ can live with a smile, with a sense of hope and faith and not a sense of fear and nervousness. And that the teaching of the end is that which drives a sense of comfort. And finally with that, a marvelous sense of love. Love for the people around you. Love for the community of faith. Love for the marvelous things that go on in our world. But love that looks beyond the here and now and sees the love of God as an eternal blessing to each one of us. Hope, faith, smile, and love. Because what we have to look forward to is, is grand. So how do we keep watch? Keep watch, Jesus says. He says it over and over again. They tell stories about it. Well, it's like waiting for the bridegroom to come. Well, it's like a fig tree. Well, it's like, and, and he does all those things. But he says, you know, watch. And as you watch, do so with deep devotion. And in our own congregation, we talk about that as connecting to God, growing together, and sharing Christ. And if you have the best glasses in the history of the world, you can probably read what's on the left side there. I made those slides myself, <laughs> obviously. I can't even beat them on the back wall. Oh my gosh. So watch for the Lord's coming with deep devotion. Why is today a good place? Why today is this the best place in the world to be? 
Because this is what heaven looks like. John writes in Revelation chapter 7, it's the saints around the throne and the lamb around Jesus, singing alleluia, ascribing praise and honor and glory to the Lord. Heaven isn't about going fishing and, and playing pinball and popping a game every time as I thought it was when I was in seventh grade. It's not about all this stuff here. And we come to worship and we, and we connect to God in a setting like this. It's a reminder to us that there's something bigger and grander than just the here and now. Connect to God and grow together. The scriptures tell us that God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And sometimes the world is a dark, dark place. But when we prepare ourselves and watch out with attention to God's word, when that word begins to form our hearts and our lives, when it begins to make a difference and really be seated and rooted and growing in us, then there's this marvelous sense of confidence that wells up. And I can watch the world unfold and devolve without a sense of dread, but with a sense of confidence that what comes next is better than what's already been. And faith is strengthened and hope is renewed and life is revived in Jesus. And so we connect to God and we grow together in that word. So that, as I said earlier, when you reach back and you need that word of confidence and hope, that word is there for you. And finally, we share Christ. Because I'm going to heaven with you. I want everyone I know and love to be there. Matter of fact, I want everyone to be there. I want people I don't know and don't yet love to be with us in heaven. Powerful night on Wednesday night. My family and I go to church on, on, on Wednesday night, and then I get up and go on Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning for Thanksgiving. As Marco said, did such a nice job with the announcements today. Just fantastic. The foster care thing is a big thing. Pastor Mike got up and told the story of the Gerko family who uh, took in through the Safe Family Initiative three little children, three little girls, two, three, and four years old. They were ready Wednesday night to sleep in a park and, and they were found. And your community came around them with size five diapers and wipes and food and stuff for basic human hygiene that, and then as Pastor Mike finished his message and we celebrated the sacrament like we're gonna do in a few moments, the, the family was sitting over here and the girls came up and I elbowed my wife and said, honey, that's those three little girls. Maybe they know Jesus now. Maybe they'll be baptized now. Maybe their parents will have a whole different understanding of who the Lord Jesus is because they've been supported and loved and cared for by the church. No, it used to be in the church that you open the door on Sunday morning and people poured in. And it really doesn't work that way anymore. But the open door of the church is the church of your hearts, your hands, your legs and backs for service. And that's where we find the people who need what we have. And in that, we're able to share Christ with them through the ministry that we share together. And it's those three pieces with the word devotion connect to God, grow together, and share Christ that lead us on that last day to be able to nod our heads and say, if the Lord comes today, I'm fit and ready 
And if the Lord at 55 years old, 54, gives me another 40 years, then I'll be ready. And if he comes this afternoon, just before the Vikings Packers kick off, <laughs> I'll be okay. Because what happens in heaven and in eternity is way better than anything going on here. Jesus promises that and delivers that to you in faith and calls us to be on watch with confidence and with comfort until he comes again.